So there's a traditional Hebrew story uh, about Abraham that I want to start with today. Uh, One day Abraham was sitting outside of his tent, and he saw an old man, tired from age and from traveling, coming towards him. So Abraham rushed out and greeted him, and then invited him into his tent. And when he came in, he washed the old man's feet, gave him some food, something to drink. But the old man immediately began eating without praying or blessing the food. So Abraham asked him, don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, I only worship fire. I don't believe in any other gods. When Abraham heard this, he became very angry. He grabbed the old man by the shoulders and threw him out of his tent into the cold night. When the old man had left, God called to Abraham and asked where the stranger was. Abraham said, well, I threw him out. He, he didn't worship you. He doesn't believe in you. To which God replied, I have put up with him for 80 years, even though he dishonors me every single day, but you couldn't put up with him for one night? Last Sunday, we studied a very intense passage about a group of rich people who in the first century were using their wealth and their position to exploit the poor in the community. And we discussed how this passage could apply to us today, but we also talked about the fact this passage was not written to the recipients of this letter of James. It was written as a warning to the people who were oppressing the recipients. So this week, we come to the next section. This is James' response and instruction to the recipients based on the oppression that they were facing. So they would have read that first passage last week with encouragement. God heard the cries from them. He'd heard that they were being oppressed, and he was going to come and do something about it. So this week's passage is to them, the people who are being oppressed. So what should we do when we feel like we are wronged? What should we do when we're hurt and want to get even? What should we do when we want to get payback or revenge? What should we do when we feel we are absolutely right and others are absolutely wrong? And that's what James is dealing with in this passage. And it's not just subjectively, I think I'm right. It's a situation where they know they're right and that the others are wrong. How should they respond? So how should the people he is writing to respond to the oppression and injustice that they are experiencing? James tells them in this week's passage, be patient and strengthen your hearts because God is coming soon. God has had to put up with sin, injustice, oppression, and suffering since he created everything. He is a perfect and holy God who cannot tolerate any of these things being in his presence. And yet he is patient, and he waits, because he has a plan to deal with all of it. He is perfect, and yet we are not. Yet somehow, somehow, as the church globally around the world, we have convinced ourselves that it is our job to right the wrongs, to seek payback and revenge on God's behalf, or to somehow force everyone to stop sinning and breaking God's law, whether they even believe in God or not. But that's not our job. When we are personally faced with injustice, or when we are wronged or hurt, 
It is our job to be peacefully patient. It is not our job to seek revenge. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't leave or escape a dangerous situation. It doesn't mean you stay in a situation that's harmful to you. But it does mean it's not your place to get revenge or to get even. That right belongs to God. Our job is to be peaceful and patient, living at peace with people as much as it is possible for us to do. Now, if you've been looking ahead, you've probably noticed we're almost done, James. Um, I think this is week 10. Uh, next week is the last Sunday. Uh, and then Larissa and I will be away for a week after that. Uh, and then we get into Advent. Uh, so if you love Christmas as much as I do, uh, it's coming soon. Um, it's exciting. I would decorate the house right now if I was allowed, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> So it's exciting, it's coming, soon we'll have an Advent wreath out with the candles, and it'll be great. Uh, but before we get there, we've just got a couple more passages in James we've got to get through. Uh, so this week is James 5, verse 7 to 12, and this is kind of wrapping up the letter, it's the start of the conclusion. So he says to the recipients of the letter, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rain in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience in suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. So like I said, last week's passage was all about the people who were oppressing the recipients of this letter, and you can already see immediately the focus has shifted back to the recipients. My brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. So if the previous section was about the judgment coming to those oppressing the recipients, then this is instructions that James has for them in the face of that oppression. Be patient. And in the Greek, there's a therefore at the beginning of this verse, which means... This passage is directly linked to what happened before. Because of the rich people oppressing you, do this. You, remember, you may remember last week's uh, verse 4 of chapter 5 when James says, For listen, hear the cries of the field workers who you have cheated of their pay. The cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. So God's not unaware of what's going on. He is aware of the injustice. Their cries have literally reached his ears. And those who are guilty have stored up judgment for themselves. And he will come to deal with it at the final judgment. But what's clear here is that James is calling on Christians not to take the judgment of the world or of any unrepentant sinners or of Christians even who have wronged them, not to take it into their own hands. They are to wait for God to sort it all out. 
Previously in James, we were instructed not to give in to the world or to live a worldly life, but here we're also told not to attack it. Both giving in to the world and attacking the world are considered wrong. And I think I've said a couple times in this, uh, this series about how oftentimes our faith and the things that God calls us to do isn't as black and white as we like it to be. It's a little more gray. Um, it's a lot more to do with our hearts. Uh, he doesn't just give us a to-do list in the New Testament. Like, this is who you should be. Uh, do these things, you're good. Don't do these things, you're good. It's not always as simple as that. So in verse 7 and 8, he says this. He gives this example of what patience looks like. He says, Consider the farmers who wait for the rains in the fall and the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. So I'm sure there's lots of people here being on PEI who are familiar with farming. <laughs> it's probably not uh, a foreign concept to us. Uh, but first century farming in Palestine, uh, and even today, is a bit different than it is here. Uh, it's a very different climate uh, and a different growing season. So it gets really hot and dry in the summer in Palestine, too hot to grow your crops. So it's pretty much impossible to grow them during the period that we would grow them. So they plant their crops in the fall, and then they grow them through the winter and harvest them in the late spring. Uh, because the winters don't get as cold in the lower areas there. So there's rain that comes, it's actually a, a moderate temperature, uh, you can grow your crops through the winter. Now rain is unpredictable anywheres, uh, and we're as much at the mercy of the rain on PEI as anywhere else, but uh, in Palestine, it was very erratic and very unpredictable. They would plant their crops in late September, early October, and in a really good year, the rain would begin in October, the rain would sporadically come through the growing season until April. But in a bad year, it might not rain at all until Christmas. You might not have a drop of rain until after Christmas. So that would obviously be concerning as you're waiting and hoping for the rain to come. Uh, you know, you're just hoping it'll be an okay year. Uh, and sometimes even what they got after Christmas would be insufficient or non-existent. But sometimes they would get enough rain in the months between Christmas and harvest to make up for a dry start. So as a farmer in Palestine, in a bad year or a moderate year, you plant your crops and then you're waiting and waiting patiently, hoping and praying that they will come, the rain will come early. But if the rain didn't come until later or even after Christmas, they would wait with patience and hope and pray there would be enough rain in the spring to make up for it. Uh, and I guess it's kind of saying, you know, rather than stressing out and freaking out and trying to figure all that stuff out, when you can't do anything about it, just be patient. Just wait, pray, trust in God. Now, when this letter was written, Palestine was in the middle of a 10-year famine brought on by a severe drought to kind of uh, heighten the severity of what's going on uh, during this time. So this message would have really resonated with them. Consider the farmers who have been patiently waiting for the rain to come and water their crops and give them a decent harvest while they're being exploited and taken advantage of by the rich to cover their losses, most likely. They're patiently waiting for the drought to end, for the rain to begin and to bring them a bountiful harvest. 
In the same way, we should also be patient and trusting in the midst of our suffering or when we've been wronged and not try to take matters into our own hands. Trust God to take care of it. The rain will soon come to water the crops, and God is also coming soon to the aid of those who have cried out to him. I do want to talk for a minute about this statement that the coming of the Lord is near, because obviously it's been about 2,000 years since this letter was written. So um, we kind of need to talk about what that word means. Uh, the coming of the Lord is near. Um, did they think that he was coming within a couple decades? Um, or did they have the same understanding we do? See, their conviction that Jesus' return was near or imminent meant that they fully believed that it could transpire within a very short period of time. Not that it had to. They, like Jesus, did not know the day or the hour that he would come back. But they acted and taught others to act as if their generation could and would be the last. They had a sense of urgency uh, in the way that they conducted themselves and their lives and their, and their, uh, their ministry. Uh, there was urgency because they felt Jesus could come back tomorrow, today. Uh, and the thing is, we don't necessarily have that sense of urgency anymore. Uh, the same is true for us. He could come back any time. But after 2,000 years, we've kind of started to lose this sense of urgency that they had uh, in, in following his commandments and living a life as if he could come back tomorrow. But the same is true for us. Our own decade, this year, this month could be the last in human history on earth. And the advice of James to us is the same as it was to his first century readers. Be patient and strengthen your hearts. So then he digresses a bit and kind of talks about how this, uh, how this can be put into play immediately. He says, don't grumble about each other in verse 9. Don't grumble against each other or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. And at first glance, if you just zoom in on this, it doesn't look like it has a lot to do with what came before. But grumbling or complaining against each other is definitely something that happens when we are facing the pressures of difficult circumstances or frustration. I'm sure none of us has ever taken the frustration of a difficult day out on a spouse or kids or anything ever before. I'm sure that's never happened uh, to any of us. The context here is referring to patience and endurance during a period of struggles and oppression. This warning to them was meant to limit the kind of arguing that can flare up under difficult circumstances. If they were going to endure their suffering, they needed to do it together. They needed to do it together. And I think that's an interesting lesson that's worth thinking about today, both for their, our circumstances, their circumstances and the church at large, is that if we are going to persevere and be patient as the church, we have to do it together. James then says the judge is standing at the door, and doors are a very interesting thing in Scripture in terms of imagery. Usually, they're indicating nearness or closeness. Uh, in Revelation 3, Jesus says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And the idea is, he's here right now in this present moment, near, knocking. And the same idea here, God is the judge. 
and he's right at the door. He's not far off in time or space. Uh, sometimes when we're going about our daily life, um, when you get busy, it's kind of hard to remember that. But you could, that kind of the idea that we should be picturing is that he's right in that doorway right now. He's almost here. That's that urgency that we were talking about and how we live our lives. This is also a reminder that criticizing and judging one another puts us in danger of, judge, of judgment ourselves. And we covered that very thoroughly during this series. Uh, we've talked about judgment a lot, so I don't want to go too far into that, but I just want to point out that that's a reminder to us that not only will he come and judge all of us for our actions, he's coming soon. Verse 10 and 11. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For example, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You see, the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. So we're encouraged to be patient and endure under whatever circumstances. For them it was suffering. They were being oppressed. That was where they found themselves when this letter was written. But we're warned not to take our frustration out on each other. And now we're given a couple tangible biblical examples of what it looks like in Scripture when this is practiced, the patience uh, and long-suffering, I think, is the word in some translations. I think that's a really good uh, description of what he means here. So from the prophets, uh, this is just me pulling out an example. Think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah gave his life as a prophet, but no one ever listened to him. If he was considering response to his messages and his prophecy, the measure of success, then he was a failure. And it's one thing to spend your whole life in a ministry like that and not have response, but what's worse was that God told him before he even started that no one was going to listen to him. Jeremiah 7.27, this is God talking to Jeremiah. He says, when you tell them all this, they will not listen to you. When you call to them, they will not answer. That's a really discouraging way to start your ministry. <laughs> to know you're going to spend your whole life doing something, you're going to fail, no one's ever going to listen to you, and then you're going to die. <laughs> what an encouraging start. But he was patient and long-suffering. He endured it. This is what we are called to do as well. It doesn't matter what circumstances we find ourselves in or how we're treated. We are to patiently endure and leave revenge and getting even and judgment for God to all sort out and deal with. Um, that's not our department. Then we have Job. Job lost all of his children, his home, and all of his possessions in a very short period of time. His wife and friends told him that he should curse God and turn his back on him. And I think the, the literal verse from his wife was, curse God and die. Just like, thank you. <laughs> How encouraging. But he refused. He would not turn his back on God. Now when you read Job, I wouldn't say that Job was very patient. And you'll notice that James doesn't call him patient. But he calls him, uh, he says that he endured. He, he, he did not turn his back on God. He endured through the process. He was faithful. 
Job 13, 15, he says, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. So to sum all of that up, James is urging his readers not to fight back against the injustice and wrong that they were personally facing, but to exercise long-suffering patience towards the rich who were oppressing them, and to exhibit perseverance in the trying circumstances ahead of them. And sometimes we're not good at that today, um, but considering the situations that they were facing where they were being oppressed to the point where people were dying, I think if they can do it, we can do it. Then we have verse 12, and this one frustrated me when I was studying because at the very start of this series, I said to you guys that sometimes James would just throw in little tidbits here and there that had nothing to do with the surrounding context. Anyway, he left me one more abstract thought that wasn't really connected to our passage that I had to figure out what to do with, and I really didn't know what to do with it for the sermon today. Um, It doesn't really connect to what's before or after specifically, But either way, I'll read it and I'll share a couple thoughts about it. Then we'll move to the application. James 12, he says, But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. So this is pretty much verbatim from Matthew 5 when Jesus says, Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. And I think... Really, the way this ties in is that this is concluding thoughts and advice to his readers. So it's just kind of a a lump of stuff. Here's some good things that you should do. But the idea here, it's not that we shouldn't, you know, take an oath if we're in court or something. Um, It's that if we swear we will do something in God's name, for example, which people did in the first century and people still do today, and we don't do it. Where does that leave us? If we say we'll do something in God's name and we don't do it, we're taking his name in vain. We should be honest in everything we say and do. If we say we're going to do something, we should just do it. We should be honest enough that if we say yes or no, people unquestionably know that's the truth because of your reputation for telling it. This is just a good piece of life advice. All right, so let's move to the application. So in the first century, we see that they were being actively oppressed by the rich landowners, so their call was to be patient and endure in the face of that opposition. So for us today, how can we apply those lessons that James gave to our lives and to our circumstances when we feel like we have been wronged, hurt, or if we feel that we are unquestionably in the right So the first thing I want you to remember as you leave this week is that it's not our job to get even. It's not our job to get revenge. It's not our job to prove that we are right or that others are wrong. We act so impatient and righteous sometimes as the church as if we cannot tolerate sin in the world for a single second We call people who aren't even Christian. We make a big stink out of how sinful the world is without a second thought as to how we may be hurting people along the way. People who, by the way, maybe never even once have indicated that they care what we or God has to say about their lives. In the process of doing this, we forget that we are not judges. God is the judge, and he will judge the world. 
He's told us so. And if he has had to put up with sin and injustice in the world for thousands of years, and he has been patient, and he has a plan, I think we, as sinners, can put up with the world being worldly for a few decades during our time on earth. He does have a plan to deal with all of it, but his plan does not involve us jumping in and judging on his behalf. So that's the first thing I want us to remember. The second thing is that it is our job to live peaceably with everyone. In Romans, Paul said this about the way in which we live and interact with others, including our enemies. In Romans 12, he says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Here's the real important one. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That is our job. God will deal with the judging part when he comes back. And that includes judging us and our part as well. Because we like to think that we're in a position to judge because somehow we're holier because we're part of the church, but the only reason we're any different than the world is because God forgave our sins. It was nothing to do with what we did. We're no better. It's not our job to judge others. Our job is to live peaceably with everyone. And not just to be a generally peaceable person, but as I read in that passage, do all that you can, everything possible, to live in peace with everyone. And so I guess the, kind of the application question for today is, as a big C church, uh, and for us personally, are we doing all that we possibly can do, everything within our power, to live at peace with everyone? The third thing I want us to remember as we leave today is to be patient and endure. I think this is the big lesson from this passage. Don't resist when we are opposed. Strengthen your hearts against whatever is thrown our way and know that God is coming soon and he will sort out all the injustice and sin in the world. Whatever is thrown our way, we have to establish our hearts and our minds in his word and live with a patience in the knowledge that God's role is to sort out the pain and suffering, and our role is to live at peace with everyone and bless them where we can, regardless of how they treat us. So as we conclude this week, I would like for us all to challenge ourselves to consider how we should apply this to our lives. How can I better be patient in my life? Or how can I work more to live at peace with those I don't like or get along with? Or those who I feel have wronged me. What can I do or improve on in my life that will allow me to share the gospel more through my actions? And as I said before, I would argue that the original recipients of this letter 
had it much rougher than we do today. So if they were called to be patient and endure in the midst of their suffering, I think this message all the more applies to us today and whatever we face as a church. It is not our job to get revenge or to get even, but it is our job to literally do everything we possibly can to live at peace with everybody. So be patient and endure. Whatever is going on in your life, however you have been hurt or wronged in the past, trust that God will take care of all of it when he comes. And he is coming soon. Father God, I thank you so much that you are the judge because you are so much holier and righteous than we could ever hope to be. And I just ask that as we leave this week, you could help us to remember that, to trust and to have patience in your plan and to allow us to be the instruments of your love to the world. Help us to do all that we can to live at peace with everyone and to bless all of those that we come across in our lives. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.